Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blackout, the best college football pick and pod in the land, and we are coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. Alan, it has been a long bowl season. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked. We've had a lot go on with the holidays, a lot go on with a lot of these games on our selection sheet that we have to put up for the contest. How have you been, sir? Oh, man, I've, I've been good. I've enjoyed watching this pretty wild uh, bowl season and lots of, uh, you know, turns and in it. And so it's been it's been good, man. It's been good. I'm glad to be back. You and I are in contention with a number of other people for $250 in prizes. Those come from Fans Collectibles, HoffandPepper.com, ChampionshipFootballs.com, and, of course, Belly Up Sports. So a lot to go on the table. We're coming down to the end of it here with the national championship schedule for Monday. Of course, waiting to see if anything could be changed with that. But it looks like this at this point, Thursday afternoon, that all things are full steam ahead with the Natty coming up on Monday. So, Alan, you and I have a lot to discuss as we find ourselves, both of us, in contention for first place in our contest. I'm in first place overall at this point. I have 260 points with ESPN's Bowl Mania. Alan, you have 243. You're in third place, so we're both in a very strong position. And uh, how's it felt to be right up here at the top of the leaderboard as we head into the conclusion of our contest? Well, what's interesting, you and I talked about this off air, that this is fairly new in in regards to me being up at the top of the board. Yeah. much, much lower and just had back-weighted a lot of games that in that mid-teens area, and I just got going, and slowly but surely, last week, I began to climb the board, and so the this where I am now is the highest I've been, and I have the potential of jumping all the way to the top with this last game, so it's been pretty crazy. I'm excited to see what happens on Monday night, hopefully on Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It has worked out beautifully for you, Alan. It's been tremendous to see because, like you said, You were back in the teens, sometimes in the 20s, but what kind of happened was you were missing some low point value games early in the board uh, with the games that were kicking off early in bowl season, and then like you said, you had it kind of backweighted with some of your heavier games weighted later in the contest. Uh, So the people who were missing games before you, they may have been collecting more points, but they were also missing more points early, and uh, that really played to your advantage. Yeah, it did. I I tend to... 
um, weight games a little bit heavier on the ones that I feel like I know a bit better. And, uh, and that includes the SEC and some of the, the Big Ten games. And, and so th- that's ended up working out in my favor up to this point. But, I mean, you've been up there at the top pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I've done a little bit of the mix of both because, like you said, I tend to weigh some games heavier of teams that I know more, even if it's a closer spread, just because sometimes I get a really strong confidence about one team coming out on top, even when it's kind of, you know, uh, picking the nitty gritty areas of the game, I can kind of tell uh, lots of times a, a strong feeling for one team over another. And that's because I've watched them, you know, say three or four times during the regular season versus some of yep. these other teams that I may have only seen once. And I may have a decently strong feeling, but sometimes it's even a better feeling with some of those uh, teams that I've seen a number of times, even if it's a smaller favorite uh, than a lot of the other games I've seen. And sometimes that helps too with picking some of the upsets. Yeah, I agree. It, it definitely does. Just having more familiarity with it is a big deal yeah and so for me I guess the difference was I I, I side with you very much on some of the matchups that way uh, but I keyed in on a couple of those early bowl games and got some big points uh, especially for that BYU pick early on so Alan Mm -hmm. if you're ready for it let's go ahead and look at some of our best picks from all of bowl season so we're going to look at it uh, before the playoff or all the bowl games outside of the playoff you good for that yeah, let's do it. All right. If you want to just go ahead and start us off, why don't you take us to uh, one of your top uh, picks throughout this thing, and we can kind of discuss them each one by one as we go through. That sounds good. So I'm going to go to my first one, and, and this may be one that you've even selected as well. Um, yes, I'm, I can tell you yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Oklahoma um, at a 19 over Florida, and you had them at a 22, my man. So – um, everybody at the top at this point had Oklahoma pretty high, but there were a lot of people that had Florida in that game. Yeah. And that ended up being a separator in that game. I, once things started kind of leaking out that you were going to have a lot of their top player, Florida's top players kind of sitting in that game. And you've got Oklahoma feeling that, that they probably underachieved and were disrespected. And I, it just had a mix of exactly what I thought would happen. And they just absolutely dog whooped them. <laughs> yeah, this one was on my board as well. I spoke too quickly. This is not where I thought you were going, but this is absolutely one of the best picks I had as well. Um, it's everything yeah. you mentioned because uh, when this game first was listed, it was first announced on both selection Sunday. I was looking at it going, uh oh. I'm not really sure where I want to go with this game. Looking at Florida, looking at Oklahoma. I loved how Oklahoma finished out the season. I like their defense better than Florida's. Uh, but as we worked our way toward kickoff, I was going, man, I don't know which side uh, which side to fall on this one. And I had it super low on my board. I think originally I finally talked myself into Florida. But then, like you mentioned, all of the question marks started popping up. All of the opt-outs, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, Trevon Grimes, all of those guys missing – Uh, I just figured, hey, I was already kind of teetering on this game. Part of me, part of my intuition was saying, take Oklahoma anyway in a small upset. Uh, But when all those guys started opting out, I thought, man, I like Oklahoma more defensively. Now Florida's offense, all those guys opting out, certainly their offense is not going to be quite as productive with all their backups. Uh, And I decided for me to solidify my pick with Oklahoma. And like you said, fly them up my board and had them at a 22 once kickoff hit. And uh, with all the Kyle Trask interceptions, everything that went down with Oklahoma jumping out to an early lead, uh, it paid off very quickly and easily. Yeah, I did. And like you said, I, 
earlier in the earlier maybe that week I had Oklahoma, but I had them much lower down the board, like maybe um, in that five to seven range. And when things started leaking, I'm like, I think I can get a jump on some of these people that maybe picked Florida or even picked Oklahoma a little bit lower. And this feels like a more of a guarantee. So anytime you can take advantage of that, you got to do it. Yeah. And this is one of those ones where you have to absolutely pay attention to all the opt-out news as you go along, because like you said, yep. there are a bunch of people in Florida and at face value, once bowl season starts, that's not a bad pick. I was debating about doing the same thing myself. But when you have all the opt-out news, you've got to be paying attention to that because this flipped this from probably a very close competitive football game to all of a sudden Oklahoma taking complete control. And it's those people who paid attention to the news headlines and that kind of thing. Uh, because, you know, when we recorded our podcast, that information was not out there. You know, that came along yep. at a later date. So you've got to be paying attention to be able to maximize your points as you go through this contest. Agreed. Alan, one of the ones that I loved, I mentioned it a little bit already, but very early in bowl season, I took BYU over UCF and I hammered it. I put the Cougars at a 23 and it paid off really quick. BYU was up 21-0 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, they limited Dillian Gabriel. He completed under 50% of his passes. Zach Wilson was unstoppable. Tyler Allgaier, the running back, was tremendous for BYU as well. They ended up winning 49-23, to 23, uh, but I got up. Uh, this is one of the ones that put me right at the top of the leaderboard right from the get-go uh, since I had BYU at a 23. Oh, that was, it was a great pick. You were on this podcast saying that was a value play of yours. And, uh, and at the time, I was like, you know, I, I really like that. And I, as the kind of the week wore on, I was like, golly, I, I just like the explosiveness of UCF and maybe they can get something going. It was only a six and a half point uh, spread for BYU at, at that point. So I went with the upset and that's actually one of my worst picks. And I, I went with UCF over BYU at a four. Um, and as you said, it wasn't even close. Zach Wilson is impressive. There's a reason he's going to be a first rounder, maybe one of the top three um, quarterbacks chosen um, early in the draft. And they just they just dominated that game. It was it was over before really it, it even got going. Yeah. And to your credit, though, you mentioned it. you have it listed as one of your worst picks through bowl season. Uh, and BYU winning by 26 points, certainly it kind of feels that way. But at the same time, you put it at a low value. And like we talked about, this is one of those early matchups. So when you missed it, there are a lot of people that had points on BYU. So you were falling down the leaderboard. But because you had UCF at such a low value and where you weren't super confident in that pick, I think that's one of the things that certainly enabled you to climb the board quickly late in bowl season. Yeah, I, I didn't miss on many of those big ones early. And that but that was a that ended up being a really really big deal because I had all these potential points. Now I had to hit on the games, but I I at least was able to have that available to me. Where's another one of your best plays throughout bowl season? Uh, this one may we probably are on the same page on. This one's going a, a little bit later later on in an SEC ACC matchup, uh, the Kentucky game over uh, NC State. I had Kentucky at a fourteen over NC State. That was a really, really important one for me as, as I vaulted. A lot of people didn't just have NC State, but had them rather high on the board. And when you take a look and, and you think about it, I think that ended up being one of the separator games. In fact, there were probably less than 
um, less than a fourth of people picked Kentucky and every single one that did pick Kentucky are in um, what the exception of like two or three people are in the top 10. Yeah. And that's so a that really ended, good point. Yeah. That ended up being one of those decider games and uh, Kentucky's defense showed up and forced Brady uh, Hockerman to transfer <laughs> after the game. He played so bad. <laughs> I saw where he went to the portal yesterday but multiple interceptions. They just kept forcing turnovers. Terry Wilson was pretty awful, but they were able to do enough on the ground game. That ended up being a huge game for me. Yeah, that was a big one. I did not include this in my best picks, and that's simply because I kind of went with the spread in this one. Uh, You mentioned it. There are a lot of people, you look at NC State, they were ranked. uh, They finished, what, the regular season 8-3. and They had a bunch of wins. And yeah. uh, But the thing is, is you look at the spread, Kentucky was the favorite in this game. They were like a two-point favorite. And uh, yep. I had Kentucky at a two, so I pretty much went right along with the spread. But for those people who are kind of looking at, oh, rankings and records, obviously there's going to be a bunch of people on the Wolfpack. Uh, but that's where you're looking at these things a little bit closer, kind of understanding the makeup of these teams. Uh, Kentucky's talented on the defensive side. They can run the ball. And uh, it made sense that this was going to be a very close game. I was kind of teetering on, I didn't really know who to pick, uh, but I went with the Wildcats very low. Uh, it did benefit me. I just didn't put it as a best pick because, hey, I wasn't as confident in the play as you were. That certainly uh, went to your benefit. Yeah, it, it ended up being a, a really big swing game for me. And exactly as you said, the defense and being able to run the ball was really, really important. I, I thought Kentucky was better than their record showed at four and six. And I knew that they would really want to be there. And in my opinion, an eight and three in the ACC is really not all that impressive. As we've seen, the ACC really had a, a disastrous bowl season and for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me was there wasn't much opt-out news in this game. Uh, Kentucky had a couple of guys out, uh, but NC State, um, I don't remember his name, uh, but their starting defensive tackle, a guy who's going to be a, a, a top uh, draft pick, he was gone. And for me, mm-hmm. looking at the Kentucky rushing game going up against a team without their starting defensive tackle, you know, one of the premier players on the defense, that's kind of where I decided to stay with Kentucky on this one because I was really tempted to go with a with a small upset and uh, with the Wolf Pack at a low value. Uh, but like I said, kept Kentucky at a two. That, that paid off. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Alan, another one that I have that I feel like you have, uh, this is where I thought maybe you were starting when I said that we were on the same page, is I took Liberty at a five and an upset over Coastal Carolina. Uh, to yeah, me, buddy. this might be the best value play I put out there because uh, Liberty was about a touchdown underdog to Coastal Carolina. I just thought, hey, this game feels like it's going to be a whole lot closer uh, than seven points. Uh, That came to fruition. It was 37-34 in overtime. Liberty got a blocked field goal to win it, you know, kind of redeeming themselves for their loss against NC State when they had a field goal opportunity to win that game, and it was blocked. Uh, So Liberty comes away with it. Malik Willis was awesome. They jumped out to a 14-0 lead. Hugh Freeze and his offensive mind, uh, it all really paid off, and there were not a lot of people on Liberty. And like you mentioned, 
Um, anybody who was on Coastal looking at their ranking, looking at their undefeated record, uh, there were a lot of people who had them up in the teens. I think even a few that had them up in the 20s. And uh, when Liberty came away with the win, anybody who was on Liberty came away with some huge value as far as contending for our prizes in this contest. There were only nine people that, that chose Liberty out of over 70 people in the group. And you and I both were on that one. You had it at a five, I had it at a seven. That that was a really big game. I, I just trusted Hugh Freeze. I, I think a lot of him, he's a really good coach. And um, I, I, I thought that that NC State game was more of an aberration than anything else, even though they only lost by one point, right? They lost 15 to 14 in that game. Um, and, and I thought that... Uh, Coastal Carolina's win over BYU was also more kind of an aberration. BYU had, you know, they each had only three days to prepare, but BYU had to travel across the country and that type of thing. I think if they play that game again, BYU wins that game. And, uh, but it was, it was a really good choice for, for both of us there. So yeah, that was one we were both synced on for sure. Yeah. And I think for me, even when this was still early enough in the bowl competition that we didn't have a great feel for who's going to be contending for prizes other than some small indications. But I think this was one of the tipping point games where you really started to get a feel for which people got hurt on their board really badly by this game. And then you obviously had some other people who on the right side, or even if you had Coastal Carolina low, it was such a a tipping point in the group that I think this one really led to uh, some people being in contention for the prizes. Yeah, it really did. Because you're exactly right. It wasn't that people just had Coastal it was that people had many people had coastal in the double digits. Yeah. You know, when we start, when you start losing double digit games early, that, that takes a toll on you. It absolutely does. Alan, you have any other best plays to look at? Uh, the only other one that, that I would look at is I had Mississippi state at a 12 over Tulsa. Yeah. I took a chance again in that same type of setup and both Mississippi state and Kentucky won those games. And so that ended up being a, a pretty big deal as I was vaulting all the way up the board. So, yeah, that was a solid one. Uh, credit to you. This is another one that I was kind of tipping back and forth on, on who to pick, uh, leading up to it. You know, we had talked about how Mississippi state really improved once they had some changes at quarterback and had some changes on their roster, Uh, But looking at it, I decided to go with the defense of Tulsa. I just thought their offense was going to figure out some things. It ended up being a close game, but I was lucky enough to have Tulsa low on my board, so it didn't hurt me bad. Uh, But credit to you, certainly, for putting Mississippi State in your double digits. Yeah, and you know that's one of those things. It it helps a lot when you get one of those right. (laughs) Yeah. My my last best play that I want to look at, Alan, is one of those Power 5 matchups uh, between Iowa State and Oregon. Iowa State came away with a 34-17 win, doubling up the Ducks. And, Alan, I had the Cyclones at a 19 on my board. If I remember correctly, I think Iowa State was something like a four or four-and-a-half point favorite uh, when we first mm-hmm. got the board. it might have. Sl- I think it did slide up a couple of points. I think uh, a bunch of people out there in the gambling world were putting money on the Cyclones. So I think that, that spread climbed. Uh, but I was on this one pretty early from the get-go, and it falls into that category of what you said, hey, trusting those teams you've seen more of. And I had seen Iowa State play at least probably three or four times this year, even though there wasn't as big a sample size with Oregon, the little bits and pieces I had seen, I'd probably seen a game and a half or two games from Oregon so far this year. And I just thought, man, that defense is talented, but they're not that good. 
Uh, they, they really had some struggles. Their defense was supposed to be a lot better, and I was not going to trust Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown over Brock Purdy. Brees Hall was a monster in this game, carrying the ball 34 times. Uh, I really liked Iowa State, and uh, they proved why, forcing turnovers and building a solid lead against Oregon. Agreed. The The biggest play of that game was the kickoff. <laughs> Near the end of the half, Iowa State had scored, and then uh, Oregon couldn't field the kickoff. Iowa State recovered, and they score immediately right before the half. And just like that, it's 28-14. Yeah. Instead of up to that point, they had been going back and forth. That was a great pick on on your part. I was really impressed with Iowa State this year. Um, they I, honestly, they they probably if they made a couple more plays, they're going to be the Big Twelve champions, and they would have been the ones playing Florida. Um, but they just uh, they just were a really solid team. Matt Campbell did a terrific job, and as you said, um, this was a down Oregon team. In my opinion, um, they just they were really talented, but they just didn't quite have enough consistency at the quarterback position. Yeah, I understand. Alan, let's go ahead and take a look at our worst picks. Uh, you want to start us there as well? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll be honest. My worst pick by far was my biggest loss, and that's Houston at a 22 over. <laughs> I pushed that one way up the board. They end up losing 28-14, to 14, having three turnovers. It didn't really look like they cared to be there. Uh, Dana Holgerson's kind of struggling to, to get that thing going. Even though they were 3-5 and five going into it, and Hawaii was like 5-4, and four, um, they were initially favored by 13, and I think they had better talent. Uh, but credit to Hawaii. They forced turnovers. They made the plays necessary and uh, ended up – hanging a big old goose egg on on me at a 22 so that was that was brutal yeah that one hurts uh this one hurt me but not as bad that's because i didn't trust houston as much i was still on the cougars uh but i slid them down from that kind of 20 point range if you're going according to the spread that's kind of what we looked at they were a double digit favorite uh but i slid houston down to a 13 on my board i was tempted to put them even lower than that um, it really helped for the people who picked Hawaii. There weren't many of them, uh, but there were a lot of people who were hurt. I was just kind of on the middle, lower end of people being hurt. So this one wasn't one of my worst plays. I actually think I, I benefited a little bit from it. I just wish I had uh, gone a little bit lower on my board with Houston than I actually did. Right, yeah, and which was really smart. <laughs> That's where you needed to be. Um, I, I thought they would, they would show up, and uh, credit to Hawaii. They put it on them. I've got an interesting one, Alan, for one of my worst picks. This is actually one that I got correct, but one of my worst plays was having Texas at a four, blowing out Colorado 55-23. to They won. They won big, uh, but I thought it was going to be a close game. I was tempted to put Colorado with the win. Uh, I didn't actually do it. I went with the Longhorns, uh, but this was a seven-point game at halftime. I thought, man, I'm on the right side of this. I think Colorado's potentially going to pull off an upset. And then we saw Casey Thompson come in off the bench for uh, Sam Ellinger and this Texas offense. And dude, this guy was crazy good. Casey yes, Thompson destroyed Colorado's defense, just throwing laser beams deep down the field. And Texas rolled in the second half. So uh, there were a bunch of people with Texas at really high values. Because I had them so low on my board, I really regretted it once this game came to conclusion. Yeah, that was one that I had pretty high. Um, but at halftime I was, I was like, Oh boy, this is not good. 
at all. Um, Colorado had managed to stay stay in it, even though they were kind of swapped around quarterbacks. And um, yeah, they <laughs> Texas played so good it got their coach fired. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts coming in the uh, backlash of this one with Tom Herman getting fired and now having Steve Sarkeesian step in to take over the Longhorns program? It's a pretty bold move. I think if they think Sark is going to be that guy and has that level when, I mean, he seems to be incredibly well-respected and uh, Herman seemed to rub some people the wrong way in Texas and hadn't, hadn't been able to meet expectations, had a lot of disappointing losses. You know, if they've got that oil money where they can just do whatever they want, then, uh, you know, I guess more power to them. So it, it looks like they're going to be building a powerhouse of a staff down there. So but it seems like that may be successful. And Sark was a pretty decent head coach previously, but I, I think he's really honed his skills in leading the best offense in, in the nation in, in Alabama. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that it's a decent, reasonable move. Um, I'm not making any guarantees about how successful Sarkeesian's going to be, but I think you've said plenty that would back up reasons for why he could have plenty of success. Uh, Tom Herman, I was a little surprised he wasn't fired at the end of the regular season. And then when Chris Del Conte, the um, athletic director, put out kind of a vote of confidence for him and a statement after the regular season, I thought, okay, well, Herman's going to be around for another year. And then he was fired really quickly, you know, after the bowl season. And I thought, man, why in the world did he not uh, wrap that up, you know, at the end of the season, try and get something going, you know, before recruiting uh, had really gone through with that first signing day. I was kind of confused about the timing of it all. Uh, But ultimately, I, I don't think it's that bad of a play by Texas. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, it's at least a wash. I think the potential is much higher with Sark, though. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Alan, where else are you going for your worst picks throughout bowl competition? Worst pick, um, I'm going to Indiana at a 16. My gut told me to pick Ole Miss, and I, and I, <laughs> I did. Indiana was, you know, as they started out, they were an eight-point favorite initially. Um, ah, oh man, I really wanted to pick Ole Miss and I just didn't have the, the gut to do it. So Indiana 16, those, that was another high game. Um, but you know what? Ole Miss really, I think it's a totally different game if Tuttle's not the quarterback. Like if, if they actually have, um, Michael Penix, I think that's going to be, a, that would have been a great game. Yeah. And they just didn't have enough and not, not enough firepower. Yeah, I'm with you. This is also on my worst play board. And Alan, I told you kind of leading up to this, I had some interesting things to tell you about this game because my gut told me the exact same thing about Ole Miss. <laughs> I had originally, get this, originally when I laid out my board, it took me a long time to kind of set everything in um, as we were getting into our first few days of bowl games. Uh, but I was kind of working on my entire board as the first few games were getting underway. And ultimately, where I had this game settle in for about a week, a week and a half before it finally got down to kickoff, was I had uh, Indiana at a two on my board. Um, I had them because I thought, hey, this Ole Miss defense is so bad that I think Indiana is going to be able to score. And I think their defense is good enough to maybe get some stops. And then this is kind of the same thing with the Florida matchup and some of the other ones we saw. Ole Miss had a bunch of opt-outs. 
Jerrion Ely, Elijah Moore, Kenny Yaboa. And as I started learning more information about that, and as we had our playoff matchups go through, uh, I was kind of looking at keeping our national championship game a little bit higher. Then I had some doubts about that, and I wanted to slide it down. And I was looking at, hey, either Kentucky or Indiana to slide up my board to make room for my national championship low. And I ultimately chose Indiana because of the opt-out to Ole Miss. But if I had kept it, you know, I could have had Indiana at single digits and lost that and had a whole bunch of points left over for another game. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, it, it just, you know, they, they, I'm so impressed by what Kiffin did there this year (laughs) that they really do have quite a bit of offensive talent, but they had nothing defensively and, um, and Indiana, uh, I mean, they had their full allotment of guys, right? I mean, they had the full, the, the full crew and, and had all the motivation in the world having not having won a, a bowl game in 30 years and Ole Miss just took it to him. There's too much athleticism, too much speed. Matt Crowell was just too good, too efficient. And uh, it got a big bowl win for Ole Miss. Yeah. That, that vaults them into the, this new kind of new era as he got a, a new contract as well. Yeah. That offense is explosive. It's going to be easy for Kiffin to recruit a bunch of talent, at least on the offensive side. And as long as they make some strides defensively, the Rebels are going to be a fun program to watch here in the next coming years. Alan, yep. uh, one other uh, bad play that I had was San Jose State against Ball State. I gave this as one of my value plays. I told people to slide it up to a higher value. I ended up with San Jose State at a 21. They lost 34 to 13 to Ball State. Uh, but this one I have some questions about. There were apparently a whole bunch of COVID problems that went on at San Jose State. Uh, they were miss- missing both their um, coordinators for this game, both on the offensive and defensive sides. I think they had yeah. a number of players out as well. I never got a full report on who was missing from the game. So if I had heard that stuff before kickoff, I might have slid them back down. Um, I'm not exactly sure how much of an impact the COVID deal had, uh, but Ball State was in complete control of this game, and it, it, it hurt me bad. But fortunately, there were a lot of people that were in the same boat as me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I thought the same thing as soon as that game started, and I heard that their offensive and defensive coordinator was was out because of COVID. I was like, oh crap! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, this is not going to be good because Ball State was locked and loaded, and it was clear they were so dysfunctional and and not totally engaged, and. Um, yeah, uh, we we both were in the same boat there because I had that one, I think, at a 20 as well. And there's no way on God's green earth that I would have done that otherwise. Yeah. Alan, you have any other worst plays from the bowl season? Uh, you know, not really. I, up to this point, the other ones feel like they make sense. I hate that I chose uh, Wake Forest, but at the same time, they got up 14 to nothing really quickly. They had a chance. Um, some of the others I don't feel all that bad about because it was – um, they were kind of toss-ups to begin with. Yeah, like you said with Wake Forest, you were looking good early in that game. Then Sam Hartman started throwing interceptions left and right in the second half. I think it was three straight or four straight uh, possessions yeah, in the second crazy. half. It, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, otherwise, I think that would have been a, a really, really fun tight game. But he just I, he imploded. <laughs> It was fun to watch. Alan, if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and jump into our playoff and look at the semifinals and what went down before we get in some predictions for the national championship. 
Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, let's go ahead and start with Alabama-Notre Dame. I don't think there's going to be a lot to talk about with this one. Of course, the Crimson Tide coming away with a 31-14 win. Alan, was there anything that stood out to you with this matchup? It's what we thought would happen. <laughs> That's why you and I had it so dang high. Because Notre Dame is not very athletic. It's opposed to Alabama's talent. And I think we saw you know, Clemson expose them a couple weeks prior. So I, we both thought that was going to happen. Definitely. I'm with you. Uh, there's not a ton to talk about in terms of, of, of you know, the matchup. Notre Dame was going to have to be able to score points to be able to keep up. They just couldn't do it. They, they moved the ball somewhat at different portions of the game, uh, but they were never able to put together consistent long drives. They weren't explosive enough. Um, you know, they had a couple of long drives, but when you're eking out those 14, 15 play drives for touchdowns, and then you're flipping it back over to Alabama, who's scoring in three, four, five plays, you know, it's just not going to work for you unless you have some of that explosiveness as well. Agreed. All right, let's look at Ohio State and Clemson. The Buckeyes coming away with a 21 point win, 49 to 28. Alan, what stood out to you in this game? Well, Ohio State was incredibly efficient and just incredibly efficient. And, and the reason I flipped this game, I was on the podcast, you know, three weeks ago and said I was choosing Clemson and I flipped that and chose Ohio state after the news broke about Tony Elliott. Okay. And I think that really showed in their offense. And I, that's just kind of what I would think would happen. And it shows the importance of consistency and that, um, coordinator position. Brandon Streeter clearly just didn't have a feel yet as a play caller. So after the first couple of drives, they kind of became disheveled a little bit. And so, uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought that the motivation of revenge from last year and the desire to prove Dabo wrong for putting them at 11 was really, really powerful. And so it wasn't like this team was like Notre Dame with far less talent than them. OSU had the talent, so it really was not smart for Dabo to do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely a good play for you. I was kind of wondering where your head was at in picking the Buckeyes. I didn't know if it was one where you just figured, hey, a bunch of people are going to have Clemson up. I'm going to try and flip it, but uh, definitely a good look for you. And hey, it was kind of cool seeing those pregame shots of Justin Fields working out with the TV in the background with the score from last yeah. year's game. You know, Clemson 29, Ohio State 23. Uh, that was just kind of cool to see because uh, you, you check that box for motivation like you talked about. And uh, Ohio State was looking back at their previous semifinal loss to Clemson in the playoff from a year ago. They'd been looking at it all year round prepping for this game and they happened to get that exact same matchup. So uh, a ton of motivation for them to win this game. Game. And and for me, it was kind of looking at everything that Ohio State did offensively worked. And Brent Venables and the defense, one of the reasons I was willing to put Clemson so high, never had an answer for the Buckeyes offense. No, they really didn't. They were they just had the upper hand on them the entire day. Ryan Day had a brilliant game plan, and they were able to run the ball. Trey Sermon was incredibly explosive. Justin Fields and Chris Olave connected frequently um I, I just think that was you know Clemson was able to start with them and I'm like oh boy we've got some kind of shootout about to happen here in those first four drives you know got multiple touchdowns like this is going to be incredible and after they had to each team started to have to make adjustments I think that was when it showed that Brandon Streeter just wasn't 
as uh, experienced of a play caller as Tony Elliott. Yeah, and then on the defensive side, like we kind of talked about, uh, Brent Venables just never really found anything to slow down Ohio State. They were doing the mix of kind of hurry-up offense. Uh, they weren't ever really giving Clemson time to kind of make changes defensively, you know, play-to-play. And uh, before a snap, they kept on adjusting and subbing guys out kind of late, and Clemson was just never able to respond in the, exactly the right way. No, they they just they were always um, in the kind of a response. They weren't able to attack like they normally could. Ohio State's offensive line just was able to be stalwarts up front. You know that young defensive line just could not get around them at that point, and they would have to try to bring pressure and it just never really worked. Alan, this is the matchup that really caused confliction uh, inside me for, um, you know, what we were looking at with, uh, with how we were adjusting our board uh, with our final values uh, with the national championship game, that kind of thing. Because I told you back when we recorded our first uh, pick em pod for the bowl season, I said, Hey, I'm looking at Alabama and Clemson in the national championship, I think in my mind, I was going Alabama's definitely the better team. I think their offense is probably going to do a lot of what Ohio State's offense actually did to Clemson. And yeah. uh, and I wanted to have my national championship game. I had it all bowl season long up in the teens. And then, like I talked about, we uh, all of a sudden saw Clemson fall in dramatic fashion, losing by 21 to Ohio State. And it was the next day that we had that Indiana Ole Miss game kicking off. And I had to decide something about my national championship game. I decided to float it way down my board. That's when I moved Indiana way up. That bit me a lot. Oh, uh, wow. But that, that's kind of how it went there as we went from January 1st into January 2nd. So uh, that was a very last-minute move for me, moving Indiana up my board and, uh, and sliding the national championship down. Yeah, well, and I had the national championship originally about a 14 or 15. And after I saw Alabama again, I was like, okay, I've got to vault them. I've got to vault that championship game up. And and as I began to climb the board, the reason I put it up as high as I did is I told myself I want as much flexibility as possible. And I didn't know exactly where to put it. So I just kind of ended up putting it at a 23 just so I could, you know, essentially – have have as much flexibility and upward mobility as as I needed moving into the last game and you know it might pay off for me yeah it might very well it'll be interesting to see Alan let's move into our national championship segment we've got four people in contention for first place in our contest and uh, you find yourself in a beautiful spot because like you said uh, you have a lot of flexibility you're in third place right now but you actually control this whole thing you are the person who determines how the how the contest is going to shake out because if you get your national championship pick right, you win the entire group. So uh, you have first place on the line. You kind of control your destiny even though you're not right at the top of the contest right now. So congratulations on uh, controlling everyone else's fate. Ah, thanks, man. Hey, <laughs> it was unexpected, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Like we talked about, I'm in first place. I've got 260 points. Alan is in third place with 243. But Alan, with your 23-point game in play, you could end up with 266. The highest I can reach is 263. So uh, if both of us happen to get our national championship game right, uh, then we would finish in first and second. Uh, but uh, it kind of depends on how picks shake out and where everybody lands. So we'll see how it goes, but uh, we've got some exciting 
interesting stuff to look at. So, Alan, let's look at some headlines. On the Alabama side, we received news earlier this week that Jalen Waddell, a star wide receiver for Alabama, is back to practice. He's been practicing since Tuesday. Uh, so he is possibly going to play on Monday. It's not a guarantee yet. I even saw today, again, we're recording on Thursday, that Jalen Waddell is going to be a game day decision. So they're not sure if he's going to be suiting up for the Crimson Tide or not. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the Jalen Waddle situation, be, knowing that, hey, he broke his ankle back in October playing Tennessee, and now he could possibly play in the national championship? Oh, man. I don't I don't even know that Bama needs him, but that, that scares me for that kid. <laughs> it really, really does. He's about to go make a lot of money, and I understand you want to play in the national championship game if, if you get the chance to, but um, – I really hope he's 100% and this doesn't end up biting him um, for coming back maybe a a little too rushed, a little too soon. But, you know, we'll see. I I could see a scenario where that's not a big deal. And um, I could also see a scenario where he really doesn't play all that much. I don't, like I said, with Minchie and with uh, Devontae Smith, I don't know that they need him all that much. Their offense hasn't taken, uh, you know, any steps back since he went out. In fact, they, they've kind of accelerated some, um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I hope that for his sake it goes well. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think when you look at Jalen Waddle, obviously he's one of the best receivers they've got. So I don't want to oh, diminish yeah. this and say it's not a big deal, but the thing is is we don't know how healthy the guy's going to be. And like you said, sure. even if he's a go on game day, it may be a situation where he's not really conditioned. Maybe his ankle isn't really feeling all that good, and maybe he's only going to play 10 to 20 snaps. You know, maybe he's not on kick return and punt return duty, and maybe it's somebody else. But, you know, that could be Devontae Smith. It could be anybody. And so, I, like you said, I don't know that this is a massive upgrade. He's one of the best wide receivers in all of college football in the entire country. Yep. Uh, but I don't know how big of a contributor he's going to be in this game. If he's a full go, it's great. But like you said, with John Mechie, with Jaleel Billingsley, Alabama's receiving core has been awesome all season, whether it's been Waddle or whether it's been Devontae Smith, uh, any of those guys, they've all been tremendous. So I don't know that it's a massive upgrade, but it's one more thing that Ohio State has to game plan for as we head into game day. Exactly. And maybe that's the biggest thing, and maybe that's one of the reasons they're leaking it at this point is it gives them something else to have to worry about on a team where you're already trying to manage Najee Harris. You're trying to be able to, you know, keep Mac Jones from throwing 400 on you. You're trying to double Devonte Smith. It just becomes impossible. And so you don't need one more thing. Yeah. Alan, let's flip it over to the other side. Headlines for Ohio State. Uh, this week, they've announced more COVID-19 issues coming out of their program. They had talked about maybe needing to delay the national championship, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It seems like everything's full steam ahead. We don't really know who is being impacted by COVID-19. There was one report that I saw that came out that said maybe an entire position unit was being knocked out, uh, but I haven't seen that confirmed anywhere. I don't know if that's the truth or not. And Ohio State's already had so many COVID issues within their team this year. I don't know how many more guys they could have this time. So uh, the national championship does have some of the same protocol in place for teams participating in it like the Big 12 did this year. You know, if you fall below the 53-man threshold with your team, fall below seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, or a quarterback, 
then you know you can ask to have the game postponed or moved to another time. And Ohio State's not moving that direction. So I, it seems to me, you know, the core pieces of their team are probably in place to be able to compete on the field for the national championship on Monday. Uh, but where's your head out in thinking about this Ohio State team and COVID nineteen? Yeah, well, up to this point, they've been able to manage it really well. And the only time, in my opinion, that it really was noticeable that they had a lot of people out was when they played Northwestern. That was the one time that they they really missed Alave. And, and I don't even remember if that was COVID-related, but they really missed having him out there. Yeah, it was. And Yeah, and, and they had some coaches that were out at that point. And uh, it was just a, including, I think, Ryan Day for a couple of them. And so I don't think this is something that unless it wipes out, as you talked about an entire position group, this is something that they in particular have had to deal with on a level that most of the teams have not. And so I think they're kind of used to it. And as long as it doesn't end up touching a, a you know, a Chris Olave, a Justin Fields, a Trey Sermon, some guys like that, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and like we've talked about, you know, if if there is any realm that it's it's touched an entire position group, I'm trying to deduce in my head, you know, what group would that be? Because I'm going, okay, the national championship has eliminated those those thresholds for you know 53 total players, seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, and a quarterback. So that in theory would say, hey, the offensive line's fine; it's in place. The defensive line is right. probably in place. Quarterback's probably yep. in place because they're not playing this game without Justin Fields. You know, if if there's <laughs> if there's any ability to, they're gonna they're gonna do what they need to to have him on the field. So I'm looking at those things because Chris Olave was one of those wide receivers that was impacted by COVID-19 previously. I bet it's not them because uh, most people who have had COVID-19 haven't had it pop back up. You know, within a couple of, of months. So I don't think it's the wide exactly. receivers. Um, I've seen interviews out of the Ohio State program with their defensive back, Sean Wade, and those guys. I don't think it's a defensive back. So at that point, you're kind of whittling everything down to like linebackers, tight ends, uh, maybe specialists, maybe the kicking unit, something like that. Uh, but unless I he- see some hard evidence of one of those positional units um, not traveling with the team or something, uh, we're still going to see travel day for Ohio State. I think they're scheduled to get down to Miami on Saturday, and I think that's when some of this news could get leaking out. Uh, but I'm going to kind of keep tuned in with that just to see if there's anything I need to do with my pick. Agreed. Because if if something you know really starts um, swinging one way or the other, that that's going to be important for us to know. And and if if there's too much going on, then I, I could see them postponing it one week. But I really don't think they want to do that. And I think people have made that abundantly clear, including Nick Saban's daughter, <laughs> <laughs> what she tweeted. And uh, so I think that this game's going to get played. And as you and I've spoken about, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on that, the game itself. All right, Alan, if you want to lay down a couple more X factors in this game or where you're looking at making your pick, you've already kind of tipped your hat, I believe, but I'm going to let you go first because like we said, you control who uh, or where everybody finishes because you have the opportunity to finish first with a correct pick. So uh, if you're good with that, I'm going to let you go first just since you kind of control everything. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do that. I'm still going with, with Bama. I think Sean Wade, as you just alluded to, did an interview at um, at Ohio State and said he wanted the assignment on Smith and I'm saying good luck kid Alabama <laughs> you know 
I think one of the most underrated parts about this team is their defense is pretty good. It's only allowing 19 points per game, even though they score 48 a game. That's an insane margin. Um, it's it's much better and more athletic, I think, at all levels than Clemson's defense. And so, because of that, you're not you know you're not gonna have to worry about um, a, a James Skalski. You're gonna be able to you're gonna have to beat Dylan Moses. And I think there's a difference in athleticism there. And so for Ohio State, I think that their biggest matchup is they have to be able to slow down um, Najee Harris. Bama's going to be able to throw, and uh, Ohio State lets opponents throw for 360 a game. So Mac Jones should have a, a good game. But can they run the ball to be balanced? Oklahoma or uh, Ohio State only allows 96 a game, and Bama's averaging 185 a game. And so I think Najee Harris will get going. I think Bama will be able to limit Trey Sermon and make Justin Fields and Chris Olave beat him. So I don't think Oklahoma – or good Lord, I keep saying Oklahoma State. Ohio State, <laughs> I don't think that they'll have enough juice. And so I'm, I'm picking Bama at the 23. And, you know, that's not some big surprise. They're clearly, I think, the best team in the nation. But I think this should be a fun game. Yeah, I think it can be really a fun game as well. And Alan, I have a question before you for you before I get into my pick, because I want to know what your thoughts are. We haven't talked about this uh, any beforehand, so this is kind of a thought process. Uh, depending on what I say here on the podcast, do you think I'm stuck uh, in my pick with what I say here on the podcast, or can I flip it based off of uh, any information that we hear coming out of Ohio State, per se? It is of my opinion that we are not stuck to our picks if new information becomes to them. I like it. I like it. That's kind of where I was I, going with this. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't think so. I do not think so. I think that's unfair. Um, if new information comes out, you should be fair. You should be uh, allowed to switch that to your best interest. Well, here's here's the deal. I think that... Um, I think that what we say here on the podcast carries a lot of weight and people can trust that. So what yeah. I'm going to say is if we are going to switch it off of our recording on the podcast, we need to put a tweet out and we need to let everybody know that we're going against our initial intuition. Fair? That sounds good. That's All right. fair. I like it. So here's what I'm thinking. I knew you were going with Alabama. I didn't have much of a doubt with that. Um, I was really surprised by Ohio State and how they just dominated Clemson. I think Ohio State's run game might might just be really, really special. That offensive yeah. line's been really good. Trey Sermon's been really good. Justin Fields' been really, really good. And, you know, his health also is a little bit of a question mark. How are his ribs? But uh, supposedly he hasn't been feeling as much pain as he anticipated coming off the hit from James Skalski. Uh, but like you said, the athleticism of what Alabama has with Dylan Moses and the linebacker core, I think it's definitely an upgrade over what Clemson had. Uh, but I just wonder if this Alabama offensive line that's really experienced and really talented might still just be able to move the ball on the ground. And the fact that uh, Justin Fields is a better upgrade over Trevor Lawrence uh, and, you know, being able to move the ball and that kind of thing is, is one of the reasons why I'm less sure about this game than what I thought I was going to be with Clemson playing Alabama. So I actually think when I thought that Clemson was the better team playing Ohio State. I actually think after seeing the game that this game, I think, is much more in doubt for me uh, than it was pre-kickoff, you know, for the semifinals. I thought that Alabama was going to roll Notre Dame. I thought they might very well roll 
told Clemson, uh, I'm just a little bit more in a middle ground of being less sure that this is a convincing win for Alabama. And it's why I'm sitting here looking at it going, hey, if Ohio State's running game really is lethal and what they've shown the last couple of games against Northwestern and against Clemson, you flip it over and look at Ohio State, I think they're talented along the defensive line. And I think that a matchup that cannot be under stated you have to look at it as Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai on the inside for Ohio State going against an Alabama offensive line that doesn't have Landon Dickerson anymore remember he was lost in the SEC championship game against Florida so you mentioned it it's going to be hard for them to stop Alabama's running game but without Landon Dickerson maybe a little bit of a weak point in that offensive line I think that Ohio State has the talent on the defensive line to maybe slow down Najee Harris and uh, you know maybe drop seven guys into coverage against these receivers and and maybe that's their opportunity to be able to get some stops or maybe even be able to put Alabama in some long down situations you know if these guys can get after Mac Jones sack him a couple of times throughout the game or stuff Najee Harris at the line I think maybe that's uh, Ohio State's opportunity to be able to you know flip a flip a field when they get kind of a third and 10 or third and long situation beyond that and then get the offense back on the field and control the game with the running game. Agreed. Yeah, I think that there is a chance that that is ex- exactly how this thing could play out. If if they are able to, if Ohio State is able to stop and slow down that running game, then then that's a game changer in my opinion because then you can start to to do some things and limit them offensively. But their secret has been, and they've been able to run the ball on everybody. And so because of that, they're incredibly explosive through the throw game. Um, and Justin Fields' legs, being able to to get first downs could be the X factor. That's something that Trevor Lawrence was not going to be able to do, as you mentioned. And so because of that, that makes them much more difficult to deal with when Trey Sarman's playing as, as well as he is. So I think both of it, it, it all ends up, you know, it's flash and dash and throw the ball deep and that kind of stuff. But I think this game ends up coming down to who can stop the run and who can enforce their will and run the ball. Yeah, I think it's really important as of, uh, because of everything that we've mentioned, as of this moment, I have Ohio State at a three on my board. So what that means is, Allen controls this thing. If he gets his pick right with Alabama, Allen wins the contest. Of course, we've got prizes for second and third place as well, so it's not just a a done deal. You can be lobbying yourself for first, second, or third. I fall in the second place, so if I'm on the same side as Alabama and we're both right, that means that Allen and I would lock up first and second. But if I'm on Ohio State, it gives me the chance to possibly win first place as well. So uh, with this thing, either Allen and I, if things stay as they are, Alan, if you're on Alabama, if I'm on Ohio State, one of us is winning first place in the contest, and then it falls out you know, after that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this thing goes. Of course, as we head into Saturday, I'm going to be scouring Twitter and all kinds of stories, seeing if there's information on who could be missing from Ohio State, and that may push me over to Alabama, even though it'll, it would eliminate my chance for first place, uh, unless, of course, everybody was just wrong and Ohio State wins the game regardless. Um, so... Uh, those are the kind of the ways this thing could play out. Uh, the only difference for me is that I can finish anywhere from first to fourth place. So I can finish just outside of prizes or I can finish somewhere in the top. So I'm going to be watching the storylines heading into the weekend, uh, especially into Monday, very, very closely to see if I need to switch my pick over to Alabama. But for now, I'm going to be on Ohio State. 
Yeah, I, I like it. I think that they absolutely have a chance to to do something incredibly unexpected. Much like in 2014, they did something incredibly unexpected by beating Alabama and then Oregon in the national championship game. This team has the capability and they have the talent and explosiveness to be able to do it. I think this ended up being the greatest matchup that we could have this year. Yeah, Even I, though I also don't believe that Ohio State deserved to be in the playoff. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, one last thing that I think we need to touch on is when you jump on ESPN's Ballmania, there is a tiebreaker in there uh, that everybody needs to put their score in on. I'm not sure that we have a lot of ties in play, but I think it's safe to say you should go ahead and get a tiebreaker score in there. So, Alan, if you would go ahead and give us kind of the score that you're thinking this game might come out as. I'm thinking it's going to be 37 to 30 Bama. I think it's a pretty close one, um, but I'm going a little bit higher scoring, 37 to 30. I like it. I'm staying the exact same ballpark for score. I'm looking at like a 38-31 Ohio State, maybe a 38-34, maybe a 38-35, somewhere right in that ballpark. I think mid to high 30s probably wins you this game. This is going to be a game not about um, you know controlling a game defensively. It's going to be a game about how many stops can you get, either yep. field goals or punts, or turnovers, you force a number of those, you probably win the game because I think both of these defenses are probably going to have a hard time stopping the opposing offense. Agreed. Agreed. It's it's turnovers, and if you can get a couple of stops, <laughs> that's what the game has come to, and uh, we'll see who can do it. I love it. Alan, if there's anything else you want to touch on, we can do it, but I think we've covered everything that we need to as we head into Monday and the national championship. That's exactly right. I think we're good to go. Good luck, everybody. It's been a fun year. Yes, sir. It's been a blast. Once again, calculate those points. Figure out how many you have left on the board. You can kind of run your pick according to what we said here on the podcast. Of course, you can watch uh, our content on Twitter to see if we change anything. You can follow Alan at AD on the Blackout. You can follow myself at TB on the Blackout. You can follow the show on Facebook and on Twitter by finding at the Blackout Pod. And of course, we love the ratings and reviews on Apple iTunes, on Facebook. All of those things help us as we go. So as we head into 2021 and a new season eight months from now, Alan, we're going to be looking to grow this contest and the prizes as we go down the road. Absolutely. Rate, review us, share it. And, you know, as things come about moving into next year, invite friends to join along too. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun one. Yes, sir. Alan, as always, thank you so much for your time and hope you enjoy the national championship, sir. Thank you, my friend. You too. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.